Hi, and welcome back to What is Qualitative Anyway? My name is Vicki. So today we're looking at chapter eight of the Visual Research Methods book. It is When Words Are Not Enough, Eliciting Children's Experiences of Buddhist Monastic Life Through Photographs. Um, so this is Jeffrey Samuel's research uh, back in 2003 and 2004. He conducted two um, auto-driven research projects, which means that the uh, participants in this research were given cameras and were allowed to photograph their understandings to whatever the questions were. Um, and in a separate research project, they were just allowed to take pictures of whatever they wanted, pretty much. So the participants' pictures drove the interview process afterwards when they reviewed the photographs rather than the researcher taking pictures and having the participants talk about those pictures. It's driven, it's auto-driven by the participants' uh, pictures. So I do like that. Um, I think that, and I, as the chapter goes through to mention, you know, it does give more meaning um, and depth to the research project when the photographs are coming from the participants themselves. So to start the beginning of the chapter, um, I think is important because it's going over how the researcher needs to have uh, an understanding of the questions that they're asking and reflect on it continuously. Uh, I noticed through my research uh, or my project when I asked certain questions in the beginning, they just weren't related. They weren't coming off the the responses I was getting from some of my interviews were it wasn't really connecting with what I was wanting to connect with through those questions. So the beginning of this chapter is explaining, you know, even though the questions posed by the ethnographer might elicit responses from the interviewees, the ethnographer must remain on guard that the questions themselves are not too detached from everyday world of those interviewed. Reflect continually on the validity and re relevance of questions given in context. So constantly reflect continuously do that to make sure that what you're asking is not only what you're looking for, but also you need to have an open mind because you are in, like in this situation, you're in a different culture, a different part of the world. Even though he mentions that he studied, you know, Buddhism, he still studied it from afar. He wasn't part of that world. It's like reading history or reading, you know, somebody's biography. You're just reading of it and you're kind of interpreting it your own way. So when you go in there, your interpretations, your expectations can limit your understanding of the participants' actual lived experiences in those settings. So you kind of have to take a step back uh, from it, if that makes sense. But the chapter, it goes on to discuss how he uh, had certain questions and he realized, I liked in the beginning of the chapter where he says they came from the head rather than the heart. And I think with Buddhism, a lot of it is from the heart, um, is aesthetics, which I thought was interesting that it was a lot about aesthetics and the appearance, but I can see how that is important. Um, I, you know, there's always that phrase that I think of, if you look good, you feel good. It's important, you know, if you, if your room is clean and, you know, you've just showered and turned a candle on after cleaning, there's a different feeling that you have rather than all this chaos around you and maybe just feeling yucky from, you know, just not having showered and taken off whatever, you know, 
um, germs or dirt maybe on you mentally and, you know, physically, but I just, I thought that was interesting. Um, and then from there, he goes on to discuss in the, kind of still in the beginning of the chapter where he says, uh, visual studies is based on my belief that photographs taken by research subjects, which I should say participants themselves, are likely to reflect more accurately their world and thus using them is better suited to bridge the culturally distinct worlds of the researcher and the researched. Although photographs taken by the interviewer certainly have the potential to elicit reactions and responses, um, the, the participants' own photographs in the interview process gives primacy to their world, which I like that, especially when you're dealing with children. That's a completely different approach that you need to take. I always say that I, I'm all for, you know, children's autonomy. Of course, children need direction. You know, they kind of need to know the path that they're going down. You need to assist them in that way. But for the most part, children do deserve autonomy, you know, to understand their emotions and their feelings. I'll kind of touch on his questions. Uh, he kind of talked with other researchers and came up with his 11 questions or topics for the participants to take pictures. But he mentions, you know, the topics stem from my previous research in Sri Lanka and included both specific subjects and more general topics. In the end, these were still 11 topics that he came up with based off of his knowledge and understanding what Buddhism is. And then, you know, the chapter will go on to discuss that a little bit, but he realizes, you know, even his own questions elicited different responses than what he expected and that just reminded me back to my interviews with me doing what is feminism or feminist today how you know what do you think of it what do you think it was I'm very immersed in that subject through my studies through sociology I've taken certain courses that focus on feminism and uh, feminist studies I've taken a lot of Chicano courses um, and just re regular you know feminist courses through my women's studies so I'm pretty knowledgeable in those areas asking these questions in my interview a lot of the time I want to speak I want to talk I want to agree I want to ask uh, or I want to tell my side of it and I'm like have to remove myself from that and let my mind just listen and not want to respond and talk and with my questions I'm thinking of certain responses and then there were times where I got a different response and I'm like oh that's interesting like I hadn't thought of that and I just I love how these interviews can do that, you know, if, if you just allow yourself to listen and go, but from here, the chapter, uh, it goes on to mention uh, Marisol Clark Ibanez uh, from the previous chapter. So I like how he mentioned her uh, as far as realizing that maybe, uh, you, you know, there's different approaches that you should take with children, you know, how she allowed them to take pictures of what they wanted. And he tried that. Uh, but he mentions in the chapter how it kind of, it didn't give that much depth to the interview. The children didn't really have as much as a response, uh, which I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. I mean, I think that is still an important part to it because they are pre-adolescents, as he mentioned in the chapter. You know, these are still children. They still, and they're living a much simpler life, even though the children in inner cities, you know, in that chapter, you know, they were had you know limited means and resources monks are purposefully living a much more simpler humbler life so i don't not that there's that much to show but uh i think them having memories of what they looked like at that age like the, the little boy that took a picture of himself so he could show his mom you know these children are away from their parents from their families 
and they want to capture these moments you know they're still thinking of their family and saying i want to capture this moment so i can show my mom you know what i mean i, I still saw such uh, maybe because i'm a mom <laughs> i just saw oh you know like that's sweet that that's important those are memories down the road maybe if he spoke to these children down the road he might get a much more in-depth response from that photograph of the child just taking a picture of himself when he was allowed to just use the camera for whatever purposes he wanted so from here i'll touch on the topic of breaking frames douglas harper called it uh, where he did a study on i believe farmers and the pictures that he took just were general pictures that you might see in a magazine you know cows and stuff like that and the farm that you know they just weren't relating to that like he expected so when he took different photographs of the property aerial photos historical photos that gave more meaning to the farmers because of building a farmer's life or on a ranch that is a generational uh, job you know? and I read that part I was trying to figure out how do I put this in theory um, use my sociological imagination so I'm thinking of how you know, those experiences uh, that you have in life are always going to be different from others. Even like I said earlier, when you're reading stories, biographies, history, it's a third world perspective. You know, you're not part of that story. You're not even a second person in that story. You're far removed from it. You're learning from someone else's life um, and what is happening within their society that you're not a part of so what I thought of I thought of third world um, theory or third world uh, feminism uh, there's a lot of feminists that argue the Western first world uh, struggle ideology where they just advocate for the fact that their struggles in the apostrophe third world are always going to be different from the first world it's not about finding a connection between our struggles trying to find common ground it's about understanding that we all come from different struggles different uh, worlds and it's important to understand that and that's the focus understanding that we're all different we all have different struggles they don't somehow all connect and we find this sisterhood or brotherhood amongst it all. No, there is importance in solidarity, just standing with someone, being their voice. That's also advocated a lot when you're in a different, when you're putting yourself in a different culture, as uh, he mentions in this chapter, Samuels is always mentioning, you know, I was realizing that, you know, even though I studied Buddhism and, you know, he thought he knew it was still a completely different culture from him. So when you're put in these situations, you have to separate yourself from that. You know, whatever you know, great, you know, you, you know that. But now you're here. It's different. This is a different life. And it's about giving them their voice and then you sharing it. You know what I mean? Uh, being able to maybe cause some kind of change in the future or just awareness. Um, but allowing the participants to have their own voice and not trying to, inter you know, insert your understandings, your beliefs of what this is and just let them live, you know. But to go on um, to the pictures, you know, he, he mentioned a lot about sweeping and I do see a lot of the importance in that. And I saw the beauty in it, you know, that just the simple things like sweeping meant so much to these um, novices and uh, I thought of symbolic interactionism, how they relate sweeping in their culture, in their 
religion, oh, excuse me, and how they take that is much different from probably here. But in our culture, Mexican culture, my mom, if anything, I mean, she swept every day. I remember going up and I had to sweep all the time. If I walk in my house and I feel something like on my feet, it's just a, my feet always need to be clean. I don't know if that also comes from once I started reading the chapter, I, you know, started my mind, my sociological wheel started turning how I thought of sweeping um, and my Catholic faith, you know, during Lenten season that just passed, there's a time and growing up, I remember go, going to church and you know, they would have a select few people in the front and everybody would get in line and wash their feet because that's what Jesus did. Jesus washed everybody's feet, you know, before he ended up being crucified just to show that it doesn't matter who you are, you know, from the poor to the rich, everybody is still human. He loves them all. And so we reenact that in the Catholic faith, washing the feet. So it's always been important to have clean feet for me. Um, that's a thing in our house. Like I'll tell my son to take his socks off and go wash his feet. Uh, my husband washes his feet probably more than I do. Um, and I sweep if I feel something on my feet. My husband does the same thing. It's kind of carried on to him. He's uh, Mexican too, but he didn't grow up like I did in such a strong Catholic faith. So I started thinking of that and how they saw it in their uh, culture sweeping and in Buddhism, how that was important, not only for just cleaning the area, swiping, you know, dirt and, you know, clearing the mind by doing that at the same time, connecting that uh, some symbol or uh, that symbol and connecting it, um, but also for the community to see it. It's important. Um, so I thought of symbolic interactionism, how they related to it, and also how I relate to that. And then I guess to kind of move on in the chapter, because I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> um, I like the end of the chapter where he is just reflecting on the whole situation, which I think I've kind of done that. Uh, I've talked about his reflections this whole time. So, But there is a part in here where it says uh, the also reflect with the pictures my ideas come out much more easily than without the pictures pictures include my feelings too so he mentions in there how the pictures also reflected feelings their likes their dislikes and this just may be completely off topic but just to do uh, auto ethnography um the thought that i had was mr rogers I loved him growing up. I've always been an emotional person and I've always been an advocate for allowing your emotions to come out. If you feel like crying, cry. It's very therapeutic. If you want to be mad, be mad. Don't stay mad. You know, so I always talk to my son about feelings. So when I read that part, I just, I loved it. I loved how the photographs allowed them to feel. You know, even though they talk about the older monks, um, there's still a feeling of needing to be, you know, it, you know, needing to be an image uh, a reflection of those older monks so they take pride in trying to be like them but I think these pictures still allowed them to go back to just being children again allowing their feelings and emotions to completely come out I thought of Mr. Rogers in that I just he was such a big advocate for that and, and the way that he used his words to make you understand your feelings I just loved him growing up just reflect on their daily life it was just a beautiful it was it was a really nice chapter to go over but um yeah I'll go ahead and stop there <laughs> thanks for listening